with them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is our text. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, do we really understand what it means to be slave of all? Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Your word is true. Lord, open our minds to hear what you would have us hear today. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, and the meditations of our very being always be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota a number of years ago. I was there for a class. I don't remember even what the class was on. I think it might have been the Book of Galatians. Um, it was an interesting day. We were meeting with our theologian instructor and we broke for lunch. Luther Seminary has a cafeteria, so all of us went down to the cafeteria and you grab a tray and then you, they have a whole bunch of things, kind of like a buffet, and you can select your food. And when you got to the cashier, it was this for that and that for that and that. He added up and you paid your bill. You know, and then you went and sat down and ate. And I worked my way through the line, got my tray and paid my bill, did all that, went down, sat down to eat, and then I noticed the coming through the line was a um, man, I don't know how old he might have been, but he had Down syndrome. You know, he was kind of struggling a little bit. His, he was wobbly on his feet, his balance wasn't quite right, and he was making his way, the only, thing, the only way you could describe it was painfully through the line. It was painful to watch, kind of fumbling a bit, taking time, delaying everybody else, struggling with what he was doing. And as he approached the cashier, finally, he fumbled his tray and it all went to the floor. Ouch, you know? Looks of annoyance and frustration from the staff and patrons that were there, you know, oh, what kind of, you know, this kind of mess and everything. Except our instructor, who happened to be about three persons behind this guy in the line, set his tray down, and calmly went over to the man, picked up his tray off the floor, assisted the staff in cleaning up, and helped the Downs fellow to his table, and helped him get a new tray and paid for it. And then he resumed his place in line. Now, our instructor, I've heard it said, he would never say so himself, but I've heard it said, he is in the top four Lutheran theologians in the world. He would go to a conference in Helsinki or Stockholm or places, you know, where the Lutherans gather. And he was known for his ability to deliver Lutheran teaching in ways that just struck people amazing. And here he was serving a man afflicted with Down syndrome, helping him to get through the line. So my question today for us all, who are we finally? In today's passage, two ambitious young men 
run up and they want to be Jesus right right and left hand sit on Jesus right and left hand in Jesus glory that's the key word glory what does it mean to be in glory they believe Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's going to fulfill the promises of God as they understood them. He's going to boot the Romans. He's going to restore David's kingdom. He's going to receive gifts from the entire world, be the center of all things in this universe. But definitely what we would call a glory road. And they want to sit at his right and left hand. This is where I wanted that foam finger to stick up and say, we're number one. James and John want to be number two and three. You know, Jesus is number one. But I want to be number two or three. That's good enough, right? Well, how many of us are kind of like Muhammad Ali? I am the greatest, was his great decoration to the world. Have you ever played King of the Hill? Do you know that sheep play that game too? I have lambs that will, if there's a mound in the lot where they're in, they'll run up there and one of them will stand on there and then another one will run up and knock him off and they're always playing king of the hill. Who's number one? Who's the boss? But Jesus has another word for us here. And he's been trying to impress that word on the disciples for quite some time, actually. This is in Mark 10 where we're reading today. But if you go back to Mark 8, after Peter's confession, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus will applaud that. And then he tells them that he must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise again. And Peter, of course, goes, oh no, not you, Lord. And he earns the severest rebuke a person can hear in all of Scripture. Get behind me, Satan. The glory road is not open here. It's a road of suffering that Jesus is laying out. Mark 8, Mark 9, after the transfiguration, there's a glorious revealing on top of the mountain. Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And Peter again sticks his foot in his mouth. Let's build three tents so we can stay a while. And the Father Himself in heaven says, This is my Son, listen to Him. Shut up, Peter! And they're all knocked off their feet and they pass out cold. Again, a passion prediction. Jesus says he will be killed and rise again. And then the debate rages some more. Who is the greatest of those of us that follow? Who will be boss when the Lord is gone? I'm struck by that passage. Because it reminds me, I was reading a book once on the end of the rule of Hitler and the end of Nazi Germany. And what struck me about that book was the Russians are advancing on Berlin. The Western Allies have crossed the Rhine. Hitler's time, he's doomed. He knows he's going to, you know, he knows he's going to die. And his people around him, his inner circle, Hermann Goering, Heinrich Himmler, Bormann, Ribbentrop, Keitel, Donitz, Goebbels, they're all vying to be who's going to be the heir after the boss is gone. Who's going to who's the number two? Who's the greatest of what's left? Do you really want to be the greatest of the Nazis surviving? Think about that. Here we are, jockeying for position, king of the hill. Who wants to be number one? Even in Hitler's Germany, of all places. 
all jockeying for position to be the successor to Hitler. What kind of people are we? I'm not sure we wouldn't be any different. Talk about weird notions of glory. Something to strive for? To be second in command to Hitler? Ambition and glory can be binding. And then we get to Mark 10. No one can save themselves. That was last week's sermon. You remember? The rich young ruler runs up to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments if that's what you want to do. And of course, he thinks he has, and Jesus makes, finally gets him, knocks him off his feet by asking him to do something that he doesn't, he knows he can't do. Give up all of his love. And the rich young ruler will go away disappointed. And Jesus says a third time, the Son of Man will be delivered to the Gentiles. They must mock Him, spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him. There's your glory, folks. The glory of the cross. And James and John, or according to Matthew's account, it was their mother. I think Matthew was trying to be kind to James and John. He wanted to make mother's job to show up and ask for that right and left hand position. They want a place in the action. Absolutely clueless as to what that means. Can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized with the fire that I'm going to go through? On his right and his left, when Jesus is crucified, are two thieves. Yes. That's who the task was appointed for. Can we say glory? Or is it just suffering? And quite frankly, the answer is yes. Because God's glory is made known in suffering. The fact that He's willing to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the glory of Jesus. That's why we wear a cross. You know, people that don't understand, why do you wear a cross, that symbol of execution, painful death and everything else? Because it's the glory of Jesus. That's where He took away our sin. The glory of God is in His suffering for us. It's an amazing moment. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the Son of the Most High God, dies on the cross doing what needs to be done for us. Service for us. Pays the bill we have run up in our pursuit of glory. I'm number one. Well, I'm chief of sinners. That's what I'm number one at. Think about it. We want to be like God. Satan's promise to Eve. We want to be number one. We want to be the greatest. We want to know good and evil. And lo and behold, the road to that is to suffer. To forgive the unforgivable. To remember their sin no more, as it's said in Jeremiah. Forgive and remember. Jesus does all of that for us. That is His Glory. Glory as of the Father who suffers us. 
continues to bless us despite our disobedience, despite our going our own way, despite our, we are the greatest. The Father suffers. And hopefully that's why we Lutherans are known as being theologians of the cross, not theologians of glory. We want to set captives free. Tell everyone what Jesus has done, taking away our sins on the cross. That's where the true glory, glory lies. At the end of the day, Jesus is worthy to be our God because He has done the one thing we cannot do for ourselves. Stop sinning. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.